The law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you asking us, asking you once again to join us here this morning. And we trust that you are here with us wherever we have gathered in your name. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please sit. I personally own four feature-length film versions of A Christmas Carol. There's what I think of as the most commonly popular one, starring George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm partial to that one, I think, because the actor who plays Scrooge's nephew, Fred, a British actor named Roger Reese, reminds me quite powerfully of my Uncle William. That's the version I know the best, the one I can pretty much quote from start to finish. Hurrah! As Fred says when Scrooge shows up on Christmas morning. But there's also a 1951 version starring Alastair Sim and the one that my father, who would know, always called the Hollywood version with Reginald Owen, made in 1938. Now, I'm familiar with all three of them because as a child, we would watch all three of them every year in the run-up to Christmas, a tradition I've tried to continue with my own children. Of course, my kids don't really like the other two because they're gasp in black and white. Now, I've also since then added the uh, Robert Zemeckis motion capture Jim Carrey one, which is decidedly weird But if a movie has Jim Carrey in it, I'm pretty much in. Well, there are many other cinematic versions of this story, not to mention countless stage productions. And you know, if you're into that sort of thing, the actual novella by Charles Dickens. Now, as many of you will know, A Christmas Carol is about an awful old man, Ebenezer Scrooge, who is visited on Christmas Eve night by three spirits, the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present and Christmas yet to come. They show him the mistakes that he's made in his past, the troubled life he's creating for his employee in the present, and how little he is loved and will be missed in the future. And after the events of this night, he wakes up a changed man, embracing the Christmas spirit, vowing to, quote, keep Christmas all the year. It's a simple story, much like How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which we talked about a week ago. Scrooge starts the story as a bad man. But by the end, Charles Dickens is describing him like this, quote, He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. So Scrooge begins bad and ends good. The best person, apparently, at least equal to the best person in the world. But in my description of the story just now, I left out the most important part and my favorite part. The action of the story is actually kicked off by another visit from another spirit. 
that of Jacob Marley, Scrooge's old business partner who died seven years earlier. And this is where we get to why I'm talking about A Christmas Carol this morning. Marley's ghost comes to visit Scrooge to tell him about these other three spirits that are going to come and visit him later on in the night. But he also comes to warn Scrooge about his eternal fate. And when Marley's ghost enters Scrooge's room, if you've seen any of the versions of this story, he does so dragging a huge, heavy chain with him. He's all tangled up in the links, and there are heavy weights hanging off the chain. And when Scrooge asks him the meaning of the chain, Marley responds like this, quote, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the length of the strong coils you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. This is... Marley's warning to Scrooge. And it's such an effective scene because it rings so true for us. The deeds we do in life accrue. They build up and in the afterlife we'll either enjoy the reward or pay the price for them. So take care. And this, of course, will sound familiar to you, this is just Santa Claus's Christmas message stretched out over an eternal timeline. You better be good because someone is watching, making a list, checking it twice. Okay, enough Christmas carol. How about some Bible? You guys ready? The Bible. Here we go. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, which we are assigned this morning, the apostle writes to a people who are worried. See, Paul's been to Galatia and preached the gospel there. But now a group has come in behind him, this group called the Judaizers, and they have come in and started to tell people that there are some things they need to add to their faith, in this case, circumcision, but it could be any other acts of righteousness. There are things they need to add to their faith to get right with God. It's just as if Jacob Marley has been visiting the Galatian churches and scaring them to death. So now Paul writes to reassure them. Now before faith came, he says, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. 
And if a child, then also an heir through God. So what is Paul saying here? What is his message to us on this first Sunday after Christmas? Well, it seems like he's saying something quite different than a Christmas carol, doesn't it? Marley's ghost's message to Scrooge is shape up. And to help you shape up, I'm going to send these other spirits to knock some sense into you. Because if you're not careful, you're going to end up just like me, punished for all eternity. But Paul does, in fact, seem to start in a similar place to where Marley starts. He says, before faith came, we were imprisoned. We were guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. In other words, we were just like Marley says Scrooge is. With a ponderous but invisible chain attached to us. Imprisoning us. But notice Paul's tense here. He's talking to you about your past. Faith has come. We were imprisoned, but not anymore. Christmas has come. The incarnation has happened and God's promise is kept. Christ has arrived. Faith has come and we have been set free. So, In keeping with our Advent theme, if you were worshiping with us through Advent, you heard this constant refrain of the two ways that God speaks to us. Promises made and promises kept. Judgments and promises. This first word of God echoes a Christmas carol. It is a word of commandment or warning. Before faith came, in other words, outside of Jesus' intervention, you would have been right to fear the size and weight of the chain you have forged in your life. It was indeed ponderous. You were dead, says Paul to the Ephesians, in trespasses and sins. But Paul's second word His word of promise kept, his final word, is so much better than what Jacob Marley has to offer. All Marley can say is a version of shape up, do better, keep Christmas all the year. Paul has good news for us prisoners. Every single link of the chain you forged has been laid on the shoulders of your Savior, Jesus Christ. You are free. And now, unlike Jacob Marley, who has to drag that eternal chain around and haunt past business associates, you can actually go about living your life. And guess what? God's promises aren't done being kept for you. They go on. You actually do wake up in the morning a changed person. Not just a changed person, a new person. A resurrected person, a new creation in Christ. Because of Christmas and then Good Friday and Easter, you are literally a new 
person raised to this new life in Jesus Christ. Like Scrooge, who became good and then, as you'll recall, bought the biggest turkey at the butcher's for the Cratchit family. You will live a life marked by love, mercy, forgiveness, and justice. But not because you were scared straight by terrifying spirits. It's not the chains that keep you obedient. It's your newfound freedom that inspires obedience. Your life is marked by love, mercy, forgiveness, and justice because you did in fact die with Christ and are now raised to new life in him. Your good works are not done now because you've put on just the right set of chains to keep you in line. Your good works are done because you are free. God has freed you and set good works out for you in advance. They are part of his promise to you. That's why we pray in our post-communion prayer every week, thanking God for the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in. The good works that he has given us as a gift, as part of his promise, your good work, your new life is part of his gift to you, part of the promise. And God, as we've seen, always keeps his promise. So, when Dickens closes a Christmas carol with those lines about Scrooge, he became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. It sounds like ridiculous hyperbole. And for Scrooge, it is. Because fear of consequences can only motivate change for so long. Our own childhoods should be the only evidence we need of this. Fear of consequences can only motivate change for so long. But fear of consequences is not what's happening here. Those are chains. And we have been set free. You have been made a promise. You are now as good a friend as good a master and as good a person as the good old city knows, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world, but not because of what you've done, or because of what you are doing, or because of what you will do. Those things are incidental to the proclamation, to the promise. Your goodness comes now as a result of what Christ has done for you, is now doing in you, and will do with you. He is good. And by faith, you are in him. And in him, you are a son or daughter of God. Adopted into God's own family. When the fullness of time had come, at Christmas, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, 
crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. No longer chained, but free. And if a child, then also an heir through God. So hear this good news this morning. You, on account of Christ, are a beloved child of God, an heir of everything that is Christ's. You have received, because of Christ's sacrifice for you, all the love, all the acceptance, and all the welcome home that Jesus deserves. Now, because of him, it's yours. Now, because of him, your chains are gone. Now, because of him, you are free. Free to live the life he's given you, the life he's promised you. A new life. A life in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who saves through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.